Some of you thought I wasn't going to make it. And I questioned it out in the hallway when I put the microphone on and it wasn't connected. If somebody had taken it and just, I don't know. Uh, I asked one of the guys upstairs, I said, do you think somebody did that on purpose? They really didn't want me to preach today, did they? But you know what? That's why we have extra microphones. <laughs> Mark chapter 2. I want you to take your Bibles this morning. It is great to be with you today. And uh, I know many of you have, have texted me, emailed me. I appreciate that. Thanking Thanking you right now for your prayers. I was back in the Bahamas on Monday and Tuesday. Wasn't supposed to be on there Tuesday, but you know sometimes weather uh, causes you to stay in places that you do it wouldn't typically, you know, plan on staying in. And I had to stay overnight along with a, a team of about eight of us uh, on uh, Monday night in Freeport, Bahamas. Somebody said, did you find a hotel there? I sure did. It was called the Castaway Inn. And trust me, the name is indicative of where I stayed. Uh, it was something else. But uh, we were able to minister to folks on Marsh Harbor and Freeport Monday and Tuesday. Uh, first time in my life, I'm twice on the front page of a paper, but I was there today. And one of the articles is Death in the Mud, which is an area where the Haitian people live on Abaco. Many of the undocumented Haitian people live there, and 7,000 of them, in fact, lost their homes there. 1,500 of those people are still missing. And uh, if you take the time, get online, go to the Venice Gondolier. It's a great article. And then the editor of the paper who was along with us, I had invited him to come along. He did an outstanding job on both of those articles, but my favorite article in the paper today is The Power of Prayer. Front page. Front page. And one of the things that he said to me was, Alan, every time we turned around and I was interviewing someone, they were talking about prayer. And then he said, I would look and you were praying with them. And he said, I didn't understand. Can you help me understand what prayer is? Oh, that's like saying sick them to a dog. <laughs> yes, I can. I can help you with this thing called prayer. Well, this morning we have the wonderful opportunity in looking at Mark chapter 2 to ask this question. Is it possible? Now think with me. Don't, don't let, if you're looking at your phone right now, just turn it off and put it away. Is it possible to take steps of faith that actually lead to God-changing lives? I, I believe the answer is yes. Because you see, that is exactly what happened in Mark chapter 2. Let's begin reading at verse 1. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door, and he was preaching the word to them. When they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men, and when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him, and when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? 
And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sons are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your bed, and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose, I believe this, and immediately picked up his bed and went before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. This man's friends didn't do the miracle. That's God's job alone, amen? But it was their faith. It was their expectation. It was their actions. It was their willingness not to quit that triggered this miracle in the life of this man. And I believe that anyone willing to take the steps 2,000 years later can see the same kind of thing happen in the lives and in the individuals of the people that we care about. Ladies and gentlemen, all around us, there are paralytics. All around us, there are people who are looking for people of hope, people of faith, people who believe God for the impossible. So today I want to share with you a very simple message on how, how to raise your faith. I'm going to use that acrostic, R-A-I-S-E. Please understand that these these steps that I'm going to give you this morning, are not, they're not magic. There's nothing magic about them. But they beat giving in or giving up. Here's a simple way of remem remembering what I'm going to share with you this morning. R, A, I, S, and E. Number one, if you've got your notes, I want you to write this down. Raise your expectations. What impresses God? Think about it for just a moment. What could, what could possibly impress God? The only thing that I've ever found in Scripture is this. When Jesus saw their faith, Jesus was moved by the faith of the paralyzed man's four friends. It was their faith that led to actions that triggered this miracle. You'll, you'll never lift anybody up until you start to believe that God has not stopped working in the lives of people. The four friends expected Jesus to work in their life, to work in the life of their friend. And so they brought him because he could not bring himself. They brought him to Jesus. If you quit expecting God to show up and work, don't be surprised when that happens. So many churches have quit expecting God, and so when they come together for a succession of Sunday mornings, they just go through the motions, never expecting God to do anything. Trust me, folks, when we quit expecting God to do something, he's going to move on to people of expectation. He's going to move on to people who have faith to believe God for the impossible. They somehow knew if they could get this guy in a room with Jesus, three things would, would happen. That friend would hear Christ's words. That friend would receive Christ's forgiveness. That friend would experience Christ's power. 
And that friend would never, ever be the same. By the way, that, that's a great definition of a church worship service. Hear the word, receive God's forgiveness and a brand new start, experience his power, and leave changed by the word of God. That's really what, what ought to happen every time we come together in corporate worship. You will never raise people to higher levels until your faith raises your expectations. Some of you came to church this morning expecting the same old, same old, and the same old, same old is going to happen in your life. You'll probably go to the same exact restaurant, eat, eat exactly the same thing you've had for the last 22 years. And, and it will give you the same indigestion that it's given you the last 22 years. Now, some of you need to laugh this morning. Some of you look cranky. You got to laugh. You got to have a little fun with me this morning, okay? Believe that God is ready to work in people. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that here at First Baptist Church? Jesus saw their faith. What does he see when he looks at this church? What does he see when he looks at you? What does he see when he looks at us together? Secondly, the A, anticipate obstacles. <laughs> Why are we so shocked when life's not so easy? Blocked by the crowd, by the way, it was a first century traffic jam, that's all it was, they were unable to reach Jesus, and they failed. It is exactly at this point most of us, me included, go wrong. Notice what, what the friends of the paralytic did not do. They, they didn't respond how I usually respond when things don't go well. They didn't become cynical. Oh, it's never going to be right. It's always going to be that way. It's, we're never, ever going to change. We're never going to see this happen. They didn't become cynical. They didn't blame all the people in their way. They didn't say, hey, you reprobates, get out of my way. They didn't say that. What did they do? They, they didn't tell a friend, well, it just must not be your day, buddy. Sorry. They didn't let the obstacles derail them. They didn't lose their faith, and above all, they didn't give in to the discouragement, and, and they didn't give up. Most of us will try something until it gets hard, and then you know what we do? We quit. Effective people don't stop when they run into obstacles. The great missionary to China from the 1800s, J. Hudson Taylor, said, I have found that there are three stages in every great work of God. First, it is impossible. Then, it is difficult. Then, it is done. Hmm. Pastor Rick Warren said that there is no such thing as opportunity without opposition. Chuck Swindoll said opposition is to be expected when God's will is carried out. Without overcoming obstacles, you can't keep or find a job. Without overcoming obstacles, you can't buy a house. I remember the first house that my late wife and I bought. I was sitting in a, in a, in a cafe with my father-in-law who uh, my late wife's daddy, her father was one of these kind of guys that he was way outside the box. He could fix anything. He was a plumber, electrician, a contractor. 
He could do anything. I mean, he was amazing. But oftentimes, he would do things that most ordinary, everyday people would not do. This happened to be one of those days. My wife oftentimes would say to me, are you going to breakfast with dad? Yeah. Well, don't do anything stupid. <laughs> huh? Don't, don't let him talk you into anything. Don't buy that car that he shows you because it is a lemon. Donna, I would never do that. We're sitting at Lola's Cafe in West Frankfort, Illinois. Everybody in the cafe knew us. Guys sat down up at the up at the the you know the area where there's just a I call it the bar, but it wasn't a bar. There wasn't don't get anything crazy in your mind. It was it was just up there, you know, where that they just wait wait on you right there at the counter. The lady had brought our eggs and our biscuits and gravy and our crispy bacon and whew, I'm getting hungry now, but <laughs> she said uh, something to the effect, you want coffee, and I'm not a coffee drinker. I said, no, but I'll take an orange juice. And about that time, one of my father-in-law's friends sat down beside him, and, and he just said, hey, Bob, you're looking for a house to remodel? And Bob's ears went up, and he said, no, but my son-in-law, he's looking for a house to buy. Now, my wife and I had only been married a little less than two years, okay? We didn't have any children, and uh, We'd been trying to save a little money for a down payment for a house. We were tired of renting. And, uh, and he said, well, I've got this three-bedroom, uh, almost two-bath house. When he said almost, I should have thought about that. But he said it needs a lot of work. Now, this will tell you how old I am. He said, I'm only wanting $8,000 for it. My father-in-law said, we'll take it. I said, huh? He said, yeah, we'll take it. And, uh, and I said, Bob, don't you think we ought to go look at that house? So I get home, and I, I was planning on going to the office, but I, I decided I better go home and tell Donna that I bought a house. <laughs> I get home, and she could just see it. You know, wives have this sensibility about them. She could just see it before I even uttered a word. She said, what have you two done? <laughs> I said, he bought a house with my money, with our money, I'm sorry. <laughs> and she said, we did what? I said, yeah. she said, have you seen it? I said, not yet. We went over and looked at this house. Oh, 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 let me tell you. Had those, those heaters in it that were, you know, separate heaters and, every, and they were piped in. They were the old gas heaters. And, and my father said, don't worry about those. We're going to put central air and heating. And I said, what's that going to cost? He said, don't worry about it. We're going to figure it out. Had to replumb this whole house. Had to, had to put all new electric. Had to re By the time I got done, I had spent another $30,000, $35,000, which back in 1981, folks, that was a lot of money. That's like saying I put 200000 in it today. Lord have mercy. When we got done, Donna said, you did well. I almost killed you, but you did well. <laughs> have you ever done that? Have you ever, have you ever done something so out of the ordinary? And God, God led you through that. Listen, in the face of opposition, I want you to understand, we have to press on because God might even bring bigger purposes 
from those obstacles. When you scan the Bible, this is so cool. When you watch people's lives, almost everything great that ever gets developed happens not on the mountaintops, but in the valleys of life. Think about it. Character is developed in the valleys of life. For the next nine months, when I was helping Bob, my father-in-law, redo that house, I learned how to plumb, and I learned how to do electric work, and I learned how to put sheetrock in, and I learned how to finish sheetrock, and I learned how to lay carpet. Now, don't get any ideas. Don't be calling me. I learned how to lay carpet. I learned how to lay tile. I even learned how to put a commode in, and it would stay there. Man, you begin to learn things. So character is developed. Compassion is developed in the valleys of life. Depth is developed in the valleys of life. Integrity is developed in those valleys of life. Almost everything worth having is developed in the valleys of life. A little appreciated mark of spiritual maturity is when you're able to stay positive under pressure. When we hit valleys, it might be a sign that God is actually at work, even if it doesn't look like it. Ladies and gentlemen, tonight we're going to gather together, and I hope all of you will be there. If you're not, I'm going to, well, I won't even tell you what I'm going to pray. I'm hoping, I'm counting on you to be at our meeting together tonight at the roundtable discussions with the transition team because I believe out of this we're going to begin to develop what God has in store for this body and that's exciting that's exciting to know that God has a plan we got to we got to move on but I want to show you this look at the I F A I increase contact there is no impact without contact the closer you are to people, the greater your potential for impacting their lives. In our culture, contact is on the way out. You know this? America is rapidly becoming a high-tech, low-touch culture. There was a time when we used to relax by sitting in front on the front porches in swings and chairs. Now we have an automatic garage door. We, we get into our house without ever having to talk to our neighbors or look at them. There was a day when we sat in the living room and actually talked. Now we watch TV and text on our mobile phones all at the same time. Recently had a group of students come into our home. One of our boys was home and, and, and all these, I love it when the boys are home because I get to meet people. I'm energized by people. I love people. My wife will tell you she loves it when it's just me and her. Whew. I love that too, but I need people a lot more than she does. She could, she could get her Bible and, and a good book and study, and I'll say, you know what? I'm going to go over and say hi to the neighbor. Why, Alan? Because they need me. Come on, folks, lighten up again. They don't really need me, but I need them. I need them. I like people. I like to, you put me in a crowd of people, I'm going to meet everybody I can because I just like people. I like to be around people. I like to hear their stories. I like to talk to them. 
She says, Alan, you can preach for 45 minutes and then preach another message with 20 people after church is over when, the, when lunch is getting cold. Why do you have to talk to everybody? Because I love people. I want to know you. I want to know what God is doing in your life. Well, I, I, I'm telling you that these students walked into my house and I just had to do it. My, my boys, Micah and David, just went, oh, great. He's going to do an experiment. They all looked at me as if to say, you know, what do you want, Alan? And I said, here's what I want to do. Give me your mobile phones. Give me your mobile devices. Put them in this basket. They went, huh? You're taking my life away from me. That's what one boy said. It was amazing. They communicated and laughed, and some of them actually forgot they even had a device that they had grown so familiar with. Our culture is removing interpersonal connectivity, which is developing an isolated, disconnected society. I know the president thinks he talks to millions of people via Twitter. That's a joke. He doesn't talk to us that way. Listen, these four friends of the paralytic did the opposite. They attached themselves to their friend and they stayed connected. And when they wanted to see Jesus work in his life, they, the first step they took was this. They increased that contact. Jesus connected with real people. Especially the people he wasn't supposed to be connected to. Who are you impacting with the gospel? I read a church sign the other day that, that read this. Nobody's perfect. Everybody's welcome. Anything's possible. I'm not a big church sign fan. Some of, them, some of them are corny. Some of them are silly. But to have impact, ladies and gentlemen, you've got to have contact. You've got to get in touch with people. You've got to let them know that you care about them. You've got to feel their pain. Now, look at the, look at the next thing. Start lifting up people. You see, here, here's what James says. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is, it is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God from the same mouth, from the same mouth, Come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be. James is, James is saying that some people have character without compassion. Critical, condescending, cocky, conceited people push others down instead of lifting them up. Something in them refuses to affirm and lift other people. Do you want to see God start working in somebody's life? Start lifting them up. The four friends of this paralyzed man were constantly lifting, lifting him up. I'm not talking about just physically. That morning they lifted him up and carried him. It didn't work. He didn't get to Jesus, so they lifted him up higher. They took him up on the roof. Can you imagine laying that bed thinking, what are these nuts doing? What are they doing? Jesus is on the inside. People never get lifted to a higher level by people who put them down. The Bible is filled with people lifting up other people. Barnabas 
lifted a future leader. Paul, and we have the Christian faith, the New Testament, and the church because of that. Nehemiah lifted a wall and forever changed the course of an entire city and the nation it represented. Joseph lifted a nation and saved an entire generation from starvation. Four guys lifted a hurting friend and triggered a miracle that still inspires us 2,000 years later. Yesterday, my wife played a video that had come through Facebook about a runner that broke this record for a marathon. He ran it in less than two hours. And all around him, there were pace setters, encouragers, and they were sprinters so that when he got tired, they would set the pace and he would continue. And they were pace setters. When you saw this guy break this record as he crossed that finish line, behind him were these guys, the pace setters, and they were raising their hands. I mean, it reminded me of Hebrews 12, where there's this great cloud of witnesses cheering us on. This guy was, was, was breaking this record, but he didn't break the record on his own. He had pace setters. He had encouragers. Ladies and gentlemen, we got to start lifting people up. E, expect God to work. God is more ready to work in the lives of people than we think he is. Did it amaze people when Jesus healed the four men's friend? Yes. They couldn't believe their eyes. Did it amaze the four friends? No, because they believed that Jesus could do it when Jesus saw their faith. These four friends expected God to work. It did amaze the crowd because although they went to see what Jesus would do, they didn't expect him to do that. Become convinced that God wants to work in the lives of people around you. Become convinced that God is just as powerful today as he ever was. Because he is. This week I stood at New Beginnings Church in Marsh Harbor, Bahamas, with a man by the name of Mark Pierre. And as I was getting a tour of some of the, the, the distribution of the supplies that we have been sending over to them. When I first met Mark, immediately, immediately I could smell that there was alcohol on his breath. His eyes were, were pretty bloodshot. He immediately, when he heard that you know, and I'm always introduced as the CEO of Agape Flights, but he, he said to me, are you a pastor? I don't know if we just have this look about us. And I said, yes, I am. And he said, Pastor, I want to apologize. He said, you, you probably smelled it, that I had a, a sip of, and I imagine it was more than a sip. I said, Mark, show me what, show me what's going on around here. And he introduced me to a name by the name of Lydia. Great biblical name, by the way. 
And he, he introduced me to people, and then he stood there, and with tears flowing down his face, and we asked him, what was it like? What was it like? Because he went through, he lived in that area called the mud. He said it was like a, a nightmare that would never end. And, and so the question was asked to him, what got you through? He said, I saw God. He said, please understand, I, I have not arrived. I'm not where I should be. I'm not, I'm not exactly what I'm going to be. But he said, I am on my road and God is with me. He's leading me. And boy, as, as you know, the first thing that I usually do is, is I wrap my arms around people and say, let's pray. And so I put my arms around Mark and we begin to pray. And I, I, do I believe that Mark has arrived? Has, is, he, is he mature? In the, no, no, he's not. But God's not finished with him yet. Folks, so much of the time, we like to compare ourselves and be very, very careful about that. Be careful who you compare yourself to. Compare yourself to Jesus. Let him be your guide. Don't, don't look at Doug or don't, don't, don't look at John. Don't look at Alan and say, you know, if I could just be like that person or this person. No, you, you may get more than you're wishing for. Ladies and gentlemen, lift one another up. Look at the things that God is doing and don't always say, you know, I would change this or this. No, look at what God is doing in that person's life. Now, we will believe God can, but can we believe God will? You see, I, I don't think there's anybody in this building today that, that, that wouldn't say, I, I believe God can. Amen? God can do anything he wants to, right? He is the God of impossibilities, Right? Y'all are going to have to talk to me now. Amen. Okay, good, thank you. But will we believe God will? That's, that's a different thing. Who has changed in the presence of Jesus? Everybody. Everybody is. When you care enough to talk to someone into the presence of Jesus... Every person can leave totally forgiven and set free. Because the presence of Jesus and the power of Christ is what sets people free. I'm convinced, totally convinced, that Jesus is saying to First Baptist Church of Bradenton, I don't doubt that you believe I can, but will you believe I will? Ladies and gentlemen, God's will for us, God's purpose in us, God's mission for us, God's vision for us is that we would even do greater works, that, that we would be the instrument in his hands to reach Southwest Florida for Christ. Yeah. I didn't say Bradenton only. I said a whole region. Why in the world, 30 years ago, would they have built such a beautiful building if they didn't believe it was going to be filled up?
two and three times a Sunday. If they built it for any other reason, well, shame on them. They built it for luxury, and it's pretty nice, by the way. It's really nice. Nothing wrong with nice. But the reason this building is here is not so you can be comfortable. The reason this building is here is so people can hear the gospel. And they can come and they can worship corporately and be changed and encouraged and be enthused and be inspired and be motivated to go out into a lost and dying world and share the gospel and bring them in so that they might be discipled. And so that they could go out and so that we could send out missionaries and young people and, and middle-aged people and senior adults so that the gospel exponentially can be shared. When Jesus saw their faith, I want to be one of those four guys with that kind of faith. I pray that you want to be one of those because in this place, in this room, in this church, this church, God wants us to be carrying in paralytics every time we come. And if we've got to tear the roof off, so be it. So that we can get them in the presence of Jesus. I thought about this today driving up. Wouldn't it, wouldn't it be really cool if, if we had so many people in this worship center that, that the folks that really wanted to come to be saved would have to say, excuse me, Art, I got to get, you, you're in my way. I got to get to the altar. Wouldn't that be awesome? I'd get out of their way, wouldn't you? Man. Ladies and gentlemen, we're pretty comfortable right now. Some of us like it the way it is. Because you know what? We can control some of this. I don't want to control it. I want God to control it. I want the Holy Spirit to sweep through us and say, I see your faith. Now get ready. Let's pray. Father.